it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. And this week, we are going to be bringing you a new installment of our Spotlight series. We haven't done one of those in a while, but we are going to be talking about someone very specific and a very specific point in their career. But before we get there, I would like to say that I went to the AEW Dynamite and Rampage tapings uh, well dynamite was live rampage was uh taped um this past wednesday in uh, long island at the ubs arena where the islanders play very nice arena i had never been there before uh getting there was not fun but uh the arena itself was very nice um leonard and i had a sandwich called the islander which is a blue and yellow marble bagel with uh breaded chicken and blue cheese it was very it was very good okay i'm i'm picturing that in in my head now if it was like a hot chicken with blue cheese i think i might like that better and i would also have to ask what does that have to do with the islands i don't know but it, the sandwich was called the islander yeah maybe because the bagel was on there i don't know um long yeah because 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 jews living on an island I, I, hey it was a good sandwich Okay, uh, and apparently it was at the barbecue uh, establishment that Shaq owns, which a uh, friend of the show Eric told me. Anyway, mm -hmm. so the uh, AEW it started with AEW Dark. I didn't catch all of that uh, because I was standing in the merch stand because I wanted to get my Danhausen shirt. Damn it! Um, but uh, I did catch some of AEW Dark, which is what it was. It was you know squash matches and and whatnot, but the, you know entertaining stuff. Um, the Dynamite show was very good. You had a, a lot of good matches on there uh, for, for a TV show taping anyway. You had uh, Adam Cole versus Dax Harwood. You had Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm. You had uh, Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen, um, among others. Like, you know, they were, it was some good quality, you know, t television type matches. Uh, for Rampage, you had Scorpio Sky versus Frankie Kazarian. And... Uh, what was it? Ruby Soho versus Riho, I believe. Um, some of these matches in the for the Owen Hart tournament. So sure. overall, it was a good show. It, you know, they even had stuff after the TV tapings, which made the news. Uh, that being uh, Hook, Taz's son coming out and taking down CM Punk, um, who was not liked in Long Island. But MJF, of course, was. And there was the MJF Wardlow signing. So anyway uh vocal crowd. how long was the whole the whole taping in the end how long was it so from seven to about eleven thirty. Yeah. that's too long that's it, too well long. Yeah, it's like three different shows plus the like you know the goodbye to the fans right yeah but 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 still i wouldn't i wouldn't do that that much i, I think you're burned out by the end of that it was it was a long it was a long haul um you know I, I i enjoyed it uh you know definitely i recommend going to the taping if you can um but uh that is modern happenings we are going back in our time machine and for our spotlight series we are going to be covering eric watts post 2000 mm -hmm. bet you no other podcast or show on youtube has done this specific type of show on eric watts there are plenty of shoot interviews out there with him right and videos and people talking about him yes there's plenty of that out there but we are going to be covering a very specific part of his career and you know if we're being honest 
Leonard and I have been, you know, shelving this topic for for a few weeks now. And it just because we would think of other things that got, you know, pushed forward. And, you know, now having researched this topic, I kind of know why our subconscious is doing that, Leonard. You know, sometimes coming out of these spotlight series, we end up being a fan of, of said uh, individual superstar, and right. uh, you know, like the gambler, for example. Yeah, a new, a new, even even someone like Mantar, right. we have appreciation for by right. the end of the episode. I don't know if this show is going to be that way. No, I this was the better. this is the most painful episode that yeah. that we had to do. Um, most of what I was finding on YouTube was his TNA run from 02 to 05. I watched about a half a dozen matches over the course of a couple of days because it got to the point where it felt like my brain was bleeding. <laughs> I had to stop. Yeah. And, um, I'm surprised TNA still e- exists at this point because well, this stuff with Watts early. That. Yeah, that's a different topic. But this stuff early on with Watts was painful. Yeah, painfully bad to watch. And I don't think he was on an island on uh, in and of himself at that period right. either. I mean, I didn't watch early TNA because it was, you know, the weekly pay-per-view style. You had to pay and, $15 for that. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I just didn't get that. I, I would have to go back and figure out when I did start watching T, TNA. Um, yeah, I mean, really yeah, quick, really quick. I heard about it. I heard about their weekly stuff. And I heard about it. I kept hearing about this guy named, honestly, AJ Styles. I kept hearing about this guy named The Amazing Red. Like, I kept hearing about these matches that these guys were having. And so I was curious, but it's like, well, $15 a week. Shoot, you know, I can't do that. Yeah, Um, Yeah, those guys were on an island. Yeah. Yeah, they were the island. They weren't what was mainly happening on these programs, which we'll get to. Right. Well... So let's give a little bit of background about Eric Watts pre-2000 before we jump into the topic at hand. He was born December 19th, 1967. He is the son of wrestler and promoter Bill Watts. He uh, is best known for his appearances in World Championship Wrestling and the World Wrestling Federation in the 1990s. His height is six foot five and his build weight was 262. So he's a big boy. He, uh, his alma mater is the uh, University of Louisville. He was a quarterback there. And from what I understand, he was a good one. So he made his, his debut on August 27th, 1992 for World Championship Wrestling. <clears throat> and it should be noted that Bill Watts was the booker at this time. Now, real quick, Leonard, in my research, I will say that I found that he, he made his TV debut after only 27 days of training. Yeah, I, you know, I think even the, I've been watching Young Rock. I think even The Rock had more training than that before his first match with the Brooklyn Brawler. Right. So I have to apologize also to the people out there. I'm uh, coming off of a little bit of a cold. So COVID. the occasional coughing. So. Yeah, we're not going to go over his entire WCW run here, but yeah, one thing I do want to mention that I think is very important is the fact that he was in 1992 declared the PWI Rookie of the Year, but at the same time, the Wrestling Observer newsletter had him as the most overrated, least favorite, and uh, his push being the most disgusting promotional tactic of the year. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I found that as well. And uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's very interesting when you see those two back like side by side, those two facts. Um, so it is worth noting that his run in WCW was met with a lot of controversy because he gained victories over Michael Hayes, Bobby Eaton, the Barbarian, Tony Atlas, Chris Benoit, and Paul Orndorff, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. He went to draws with people like Steve Austin and uh, Rick Rude. Now, I should add that Watts does have a pinfall victory listed against Austin, but I found a clip where Austin said he outright refused to put him over and, you know, gave the reasons why, because Austin was doing all these great matches with Steamboat and Sting, and then they want him to put over Eric Watts. And, you know, he was willing to do the Broadways with Eric Watts, but that was about it. and, you know, Watts went nearly four months being undefeated. And, you know, this was during a time when Bill Watts, his father, was not a very liked individual. He was cutting people's pay. He was known for being a bully. And here you have his son coming up and getting pushed to the moon. There was, you know, there was a, uh, a segment on, I believe, Super Bowl, th- Super Bowl, Super Brawl three, where they had Eric Watts make an appearance with Bruno Sammartino and the then WCW champion, Ron Simmons, just because. <laughs> so they were clearly going out of their way to push him. And, you know, and it should be mentioned he was green as grass. He was so terrible. Um, I don't remember the match. You can find it on YouTube. But there's a match where he throws the worst drop kick like of all time, like he barely gets up to knee level. And um, that's become like the the measuring stick for a bad drop kick. The yeah. Eric Watts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, drop kick scale. I, you know, was watching NWA during this period, WCW. We talked about that. I was more of a WCW guy than you. And I remember Eric Watts existing, but I don't remember a whole lot about him. It wasn't until, you know, later on when I started getting on the internet and reading stuff like WrestleCraft. And again, that Wrestling Observer newsletter contrast to a kayfabe publication per Wrestling Illustrated kind of shows you that Eric Watts had this reputation for being terrible. And there's a lot of terrible guys out there, but with Eric Watts, and especially during this early period in WCW, it was a perfect storm, I think, of the fact of who his dad was, the push he was getting because of who his dad was, because of how just awful he was. Uh, in the ring and on the mic and two and this is something I think we're going to talk about later at least I want to talk about more later Eric Watts thinks he's fantastic oh yeah we'll get there oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah he, he and I, I think it's the way that he carries himself is another thing that just ticks people off yeah absolutely um his final match in WCW hit during the first run anyway was uh mm-hmm. August 1st 1994 against Jean-Paul Levesque. And uh, that guy never turned into anything. Yeah, I know. He, he was nothing. Um, he would come into the World Wrestling Federation in 1995. Um, now, I will say that one of the shoot interviews that I listened to with Eric Watts, it, the like the fact here, the facts here are kind of conflicting. So Wikipedia says that Watts followed his father to the WWF. But according to Eric Watts, he was there already, and then Bill Watts came in. 
Um, so I, I don't really know, nor do I care. He was uh, in a tag team, though, in this occasion uh, called Techno Team 2000. Mm-hmm. And his name was Troy. And he was uh, paired together with Chad Fortune, who was named Travis. The gimmick was they were representing cutting edge cyber culture, you know, that popular uh, fad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they they would have some matches with smoking guns and uh, Brooklyn Brawler and Barry Horowitz, that legendary tag team. Um, but uh, he would uh, re- they would research. They were absent for TV for a long time. Then they resurfaced in 1996, but didn't really do anything. So, you know, if he blinked, they might have missed their run there. Yeah, I don't think I remember them at all from that. It was again seeing them show up on, on websites like Wrestle Crap and, and such right. later on. Well, um, it's it's worth noting that one of the only clips you'll see from the WWE YouTube channel, and I found this to be hilarious. You'll see a clip of Techno Team 2000, and the title of said video is Boring Wrestling Tag Teams. <laughs> and Techno Team 2000, a minute and a half clip of them is uh, is shown there so that there you go make of that what you will um he would return to wcw on april 16th 1998 on a episode of thunder and he had a little bit of a run there basically as a glorified jobber at that point um he would win a match against yuji nagata but uh, his last match was a loss against the disco inferno and that will bring us to the topic at hand which is 2000 now i should say that there are some podcast quotes out there that are worth mentioning because it's mostly from the partner's career we just mentioned Uh, bruce pretchard talked about him uh, a few times basically saying that he really didn't know what specific quality it was why he didn't get over he maybe it was his personality that didn't transfer translate to tv maybe it was at his attitude you know he maybe he just couldn't get out of that first gear um you know he was pretty nice in his comments i would say um eric bischoff was also somewhat kind um he said his push made a bad situation in wcw at the time even worse he says he doesn't blame eric uh he blames bill watts because everybody hated bill watts at the time and they probably took a lot of that out on eric it didn't help that he wasn't very good um but uh, oh we forgot to mention the fact that he put an stf on arn anderson at a gas station that clip is out there as well. Um, so let's get to the year 2000. He joined the Philadelphia-based Extreme Championship Wrestling in 2000, and he lost to Spike Dudley in about three seconds in his ECW Arena debut. And I, for a while, Leonard, couldn't find this. And then I came upon like a clip of his debut. It didn't say it was a match. <laughs> I know I know now why the match isn't listed as its own video. Um, but it was like him being introduced by somebody named Lou E. Dangerously. <laughs> yes, that that was Sign Guy Dudley. Yeah. Um, taking on a fake Paul E. Dangerously uh, persona. Right. And so yes, yeah, Spike Dudley, who was then known as like a giant killer type thing came out and beat him very quickly and I, I don't know if if the history of what they were talking about in the promo the fact that bill watts got rid of paul Heyman, it seemed like paul maybe brought him in just to like kind of you know stick it to bill a little bit maybe a little bit i don't know i don't, I, I, I would guess so and as long as eric got paid for it then 
Right. Yeah, but he, knowing Paul Heyman, he, he may not have got paid for it. Well, yeah. Um, he made four appearances um, in ECW total from November 9th, 1999 to uh, March 18th, 2000. And, uh, you know, he had good things to say about uh, ECW. You know, he praised the passion that they had. So, you know, who knows? Um, after that, he would go to All Japan Pro Wrestling. And he was there from May 20th, 2000 to June 9th, 2000. He had a really short run there. We'll talk about some of those matches later. None of them are available to be viewed as far as I'm aware. Uh, but we'll get to some of his matches uh, sometime later. After that, he was with Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling in 2001, which was Dusty Rhodes' promotion in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. He apparently won the TCW tag team titles there with Scotty Riggs. Couldn't find any of that stuff. No, I, I know a guy here in Ohio, Dusty Dillinger, that worked for Turnbuckle. Okay. That's interesting. See, I wish some of that stuff was out there. Um, he would go to NWA Total Nonstop Action in 2002. And this kind of brings us to the main part of our show here. Because, because there's tons of this out there. Yeah, you know what? Even the matches that are not on YouTube, the Impact app has all of this stuff. Um, I, you know, I've watched a bunch of them were on YouTube, but there were some matches that I looked up on the impact app just because I was curious as to what it was. Um, you know, he, for example, he started out in a stable with Brian Lawler and David Flair. They were called yes. next generation. And his first match was the six man against D'Lo Brown, Dusty Rhodes and Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> and, you know, he does before this match, he does a sit down promo with Mike Tanay and you can hear people in the background shouting boring. Um, and you know what? This character in that promo is as close to the real Eric Watts as you're going to get, because this is like a cocky guy who, you know, thinks that he was great and all this kind of stuff. You know, anyway, the six man is what it is. Dusty Rhodes is very old at this point. Um, you know, this, it was mainly a showcase for D'Lo, of all people, at that point, because D'Lo could still go very well. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so that's how he got started. He would get into other feuds. We'll touch base as we go through the matches that we watched here. Leonard, why don't you talk about some of the matches you saw, and we'll kind of touch on his various storylines. Yes. So at some point after what you have just mentioned, he becomes the director of authority which they call DOA, which I don't know is a jab at him for being dead on arrival. <laughs> uh, but while he is a director of authority, Don Callis has a, a sort of a consultant position. So they are overriding each other. You know, Watt says something, Callis changes it. Callis has his own security guys who are known as red shirt security. They're wearing red shirts. Watts' guys are in black shirts. And so it's, it's, it's several matches. Uh, and he is still wrestling at this point, mostly, you know, taking out uh, guys who are, 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 are Callus's people, uh, per se. Now, the, now, this all ultimates in a match I really want to talk about. I don't know if you watched it, but it's, it's a, a no DQ match between Callus and... Um, Watts in January of 2004. Yeah, oh yeah, I watched that one. 
So you you know when I had the stupid question about the the match that you would show space aliens to teach them what wrestling was, this is the match I would not show them. <laughs> so first so first of all, there's a promo before it, which is bland, which is boring, which rambles on too long. Eric Watts calls Jeff Jarrett Triple J, and I okay. don't think that was thank ever a for, thing. Thank you for mentioning that because it bothered the hell out of me, and I was like. Is that something I missed on the episode? Maybe. Right. Yeah. Was it a jab at Triple H? Was that something he was doing at the time? I know. I just think he messed up. I just think yeah. he messed up. Now he did say one thing. I love. He said uh, that the situation with Don Callis was five months of funk, and I want that on a T-shirt. Like five, five months, months of funk. Five months of funk. Totally out of context. I'm going to make a mock-up of that and put it here. Yes. Yes. Put that up there. But. Here's the thing. This is, you heard the old term, like a hat on a hat. This is a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat. This is like a Dr. Seuss book cover of stacked hats <laughs> uh, in this match because it's no DQ. It's job versus job. A bunch of the talent comes out handcuffed to each other, which really isn't explained. It's sort not of at all. I guess the idea is if they're handcuffed to each other, they're not going to interfere. Which doesn't Jeff, affect that at all. Doesn't change anything. Right. Jeff Jarrett handcuffs Mike Tanay to the guardrail, and it's not really explained why he did that. Right. Other than the fact, that I guess Tanay is leaning toward Watts, but he's not going to do anything. He's Mike Tanay. Uh, and one of the funniest spots ever, I love this, is that Watts throws Callus into the crowd and then he backs up like as far as he can against the opposite guardrail. And he, and he just stays there forever. And then he runs and then he does like a hurdle jump, not, not a suicide dive. He hurdle jumps the rail and Callus smacks him in the face with a chair. <laughs> like what was he even trying to do there? <laughs> well, and that brings up a larger point to me is that one of the things that didn't change throughout his career is how awkward he is in the ring. Yeah. Like there are some moves that he can do, but when it comes to psychology, ring awareness, execution, like he's just very awkward all around. And I don't think that that changed. And, you know, despite in the interview that I watched where he talks about all the different people that trained him, which includes people from Japan and Harley race and this, that, and the other they couldn't give him what he needed, which was, you know, the it factor, really. Yeah. Um, in, in this match, he throws a big boot that misses by about that much, for those yeah. of you watching on YouTube. And that's a, a move he does all the time. And, he, and, and I noticed as we go on to later matches, they learn this. So when he throws the big boot, they either do like a behind angle <laughs> or a wide shot. But here, it's close up. You can see how bad he misses. Yeah. You take this and the bad drop kick, and Eric Watts should just not use his feet. Just don't do not do any leg moves. Yeah. Um, but yeah. anyway, I'm going to finish up here by saying, so the finish, this is a no DQ match, and we get a ref bump. There was a ref bump in yeah. a no DQ match, which involves... Uh, Trinity coming in to interfere, and then Eric Watts's valet Goldilocks turns on him while the ref is out. 
She doesn't. She doesn't yeah. need to. When the ref is out, the ref can stare right at it. It's fine. It's an ODQ badge. So this was overbooked. It's stupid. It's it's horrible. I know I I jumped over a lot of stuff to get to this match, but I so wanted to talk about how bad this match. No, yeah, that was probably that's like the most epic of badness that his match matches in TNA would show. And uh, you know, before we get some some of his other matches, let's talk about and illustrate for the people out there what he was wearing during oh. his run in TNA yes. because he looked like, you know, and I guess his second run in WCW, he would dress similar, like similarly, he was, mm-hmm. he looked like an older Hardy boy. Like Eric Watts is 36 mm-hmm. to his mid to late thirties during his run in TNA. Yes. And he looks like he was trying to impersonate the Hardy boys or be me, maybe being an unofficial third member of chronic. You know, I, I don't know. And like, here's the thing. He takes credit for why the Hardy boys dress dressed like they do or did like like he takes credit for that. And we'll get to the other things that he takes credit for, because I'm going it, to it's going to irritate me. But that's one of the things that he takes credit for. He looks ridiculous, like a, a, a guy in his mid to late 30s who's trying to look much younger, trying to look cool. You know, with the ponytail and the soul patch and, you know, whatever the, you know, it just. And and also the fact that he sticks out like a sore thumb, the fact that he's six foot five. I know you said he was built at 265. That's a damn lie. He's too lanky. He's maybe 235. Right. Sure. But it's, 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 he's got a lanky frame. But yeah, he looks ridiculous. You're right. I don't know if it's just necessarily the age or just a man that size dressing like that. But yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. It's it's not again rest, It's not wrestling gear, right? Um, some of the other matches that we came across, um, you know, now as Leonard mentioned, uh, he had like a feud going with his on-screen girlfriend Goldilocks. Mm-hmm. So there would be matches surrounding that. Um, he would have a bunch of matches with Abyss. Now this is before and during and after Abyss actually got the name abyss um but he had a series of matches with abyss he lost all of them as far as i can tell um he once played a fake la parka um in a match against alex shelley yes i love that match the next time i do a fancy wrestling draft i'm going to draft eric watts and put him in the la parka outfit absolutely because that's the most over gimmick that he had um (laughs) so um he you know he faced kid cash in a grudge match and kid cash did everything he could (laughs) like to make yeah. that match somewhat tolerable. <laughs> like, I will say the abyss matches aren't bad. They're all overbooked. Everything he does is overbooked, but the abyss yeah. matches aren't bad. And the kid cash matches again, he's doing all he can, but he's terrible. And I, I think it, it he does seem to do better against bigger guys. I so, agree. Like, he's the carnival ride. You have to be this tall to wrestle Eric Watts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. So the abyss matches were by far the best stuff that he did. And Kid Cash, it's Kid Cash versus a broomstick. I mean, when Kid Cash is on on offense in these matches, it's okay. They're tolerable. But when Watts takes over, um, it's it's really bad. In one of the Abyss matches I watched, uh, it's pretty good up until the, the overbooking kicks in. And Kid Cash runs in, and he is, is trying to do a Rana – but Watts is supposed to catch him and powerbomb him, but he barely catches like 
him like below the knee. And I thought he was going to rip his leg out of the socket. Right. Because of how awkwardly he throws him down. Now, did you see a match that he had? This would have been pre back during the Don Callis feud against a guy named Kevin Northcutt, who was one of the red shirt security guys. I didn't watch their one-on-one match. Okay. Because this match, Eric Watts does the worst head scissors. Oh, God. I like that now. Uh, Mike Tanay calls it a hurricanrana. It's not even close. So he he sets up a, a, a rocker dropper or a famouser, depending on who you are. He sets that up and then does a head scissors out of it because he can't just do a head scissors. <laughs> and it's, 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 and he does a fez press in this match too, where he, between his feet and the mat, you can maybe get a stick of chewing gum. <laughs> it is the most low altitude Thez press I've, I've I've ever seen, and he winds up losing this match. He gets it takes two guys, and he gets punched with handcuffs, and there's a ref bump. Uh, yeah, all of his matches were overbooked, and um, you know you mentioned red shirt security. So one of the other matches that I watched, I had to look up on the TNA app, um, was. Uh, uh, Eric Watts with Raven and Sandman versus Red Shirt Security in a TNA Clockwork Clockwork Orange House of Fun match. I know that's on our gimmick list for yeah, if, you, if you don't know, there's like a, a cord or a rope surrounding the ring with weapons hanging, and you can kind of take them or whatnot. Um, you know, it's not it's not a good match. There people blade like right away, <laughs> like like it's just it's just ridiculous. His, They're blading uh, in the entrances. Right. His final match um, with TNA, and this is when they had the six-sided ring, um, was with Raven at uh, TNA Final Resolution 2005. And this was also a bad match, not just because of Eric Watts, though. Raven was very out of shape Mm -hmm. at this point. And it was just like, as a fan, like you can see every time Raven like kneels down to tell him what's coming next. <laughs> like, and like when you can tell that so obviously it's just, it's not, not, not good stuff. Um, now one thing before we leave here, I wouldn't want to mention is there is a match I watched uh, part of the whole feud with Goldilocks that it was um, Sonny Siaki and Eric Watts versus Abyss and Alex Shelley and yeah. Goldilocks and um Desire, who was with Siaki, gets involved. And um, Eric Watts' wife, Georgie Watts, gets involved. <laughs> and, I, and, and I had to look it up. And, and they act like she's always been there. But, I, yeah. but I, I don't know if she had made an appearance before this. I didn't find anything. But I did look it up, and apparently that was his real wife, George, Georgie Watts. Okay. Um, I just wanted to mention that, that, his, that he actually gave – he, Eric Watts got his wife a an appearance on TNA. Just. And, you know, I don't know if he's still married to her, but uh, be that as it may, um, let's just finish up before we give some final thoughts here. Yeah. Um, now, that match with Raven was the last match I found on the Ringside website that kind of lists his match listing. Um, it is worth noting some of his All Japan stuff, a lot of it was tag stuff. He would tag with Steve Williams. He and Steve Williams have a a victory over Kenta Kobashi and Kentaro Shiga. 
that, which is just crazy to me. Now, I know Steve Williams is a tough dude. And it was yes, and, and got a huge push in Japan. They love Steve Williams. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple singles things, but mostly Eric Watts was on the losing end. Um, he would team with, you know, Johnny Ace and Stan Hansen. And, you know, so that's about what you get with his uh, All Japan run. Um, now, yeah, as I said, the Raven match was his last match, but he apparently did work on the indie circuit after this. Um, he would work for the Georgia-based Great Championship Wrestling Promotion. He also appeared with AWA Superstars of Wrestling, defeating Diamond Dallas Page for the vacant International Heavyweight Championship on February 4th, 2005 in Arizona. And that match was apparently refereed by Mick Foley. Couldn't find that anywhere. Um, the title was then retired by the AWA Board of Directors later that year. Um, in November 2009, he returned to Great Championship Wrestling, um, which is now based in Phoenix, Phoenix City, Alabama, and he to be the promotion's booker. He was also playing an authority role in their weekly events. I've never seen one of their shows, but the idea of that is scary to me. So one of the titles, Leonard, that he held that we haven't talked about, and I actually Googled this promotion and could not find anything, um, was NWA Spinebuster. Um, he apparently was the NWA Spinebuster heavyweight champion. Uh, do you know anything, Leonard, about NWA Spinebuster? No, no. You, you, did you find out like any, like you said, you found nothing, like where they were out of or? No, it, just, it just brought up modern NWA. Okay. So, so, no, I mean, I know that there were a crap ton of like minor NWA affiliates in like the early aughts to, to, to teens before kind of Billy Corgan wrangled that all in. I, I was watching actually NWA Hollywood on some, you know, far up there, like direct TV channel for a while, like, you know, channel right. 600 or something. I don't remember what the channel was. But uh, I do know that there were a bunch of tiny little NWA affiliates. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was some fly-by-night. Yeah. And you know, somewhere. I don't know about you, Leonard, but I only go through page one of Google. Like, it's dangerous to go beyond page one. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Most of the time. Especially <laughs> yeah. once you're looking up. Especially if it's an image search as well. Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, I want to talk about the shoot interview that I watched and I have to admit, I only watched, I think I was up to two hours and 20 minutes. Oh, God. I did not watch any Eric Watts shoot interviews. I did watch the, a few things you mentioned, what Bruce yeah. Pritchard said, Bischoff said, Steve Austin said. But I saw some clips of Watts talking, but it wasn't necessarily about post-2000, so I didn't watch it. Anyway. Right. I, I checked a couple different clips. There was one clip that wasn't as long. It was like over 10 minutes. But this shoot interview was over three hours. It's um, by Chat Grapple and Cheap Pops. And, uh, you know, two guys hosting this and they, they interview people on a regular basis, it seems. And, you know what, all the credit in the world to those guys for being able to land, you know, all these different personalities. Um, what I'm about to say is not a knock on them or their show. Um, but it would like I'm like I said, I'm like two hours and 20 minutes in and it's just Eric Watts talking about himself and not really about his career hardly at all like it's just stories that eric watts is, is talking about and most of them are just about how great he is and so here's the thing mm -hmm. i must preface my comments here by saying i do not know eric watts i've not met eric watts and i doubt that we're ever going to hang out anytime soon but 
I'll just say my comments come across, come from what I saw and observed through the various clips that I watched um, on YouTube. He doesn't seem to me like a guy that I would want to be around. And the reason I say that is, is I've been around guys, many guys, as I'm sure you have Leonard that are mm -hmm. bullshit artists. And, you know, it's like tough to like, once you catch them in one lie, like it's tough to believe anything they say. And it just seems like when they're only talking about themselves and their own accomplishments, it really, it just kind of builds and builds and builds where to the point where you're looking at just like, maybe like, is anything this person's saying factual? Like, so I say all that because, uh, you know, here's some of the people that Eric Watts takes credit for discovering. He takes credit for the discovery of Fit Finley, Kane, Chris Benoit. He takes credit for having The Rock turned heel. I will, How? I will repeat that. He takes credit for having The Rock turned heel heel how the rock probably doesn't even know eric watts right so here's what he says he's like well i know somebody in the company and i saw that they were you know billing him as this face and the fans were you know spitting it out and so i called said person i don't want to mention any names and i said oh man you got to turn that guy heel and have him run through people blah 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 and he's like then and then the guy turns heel so Considering like that. that Eric Watts was getting horrible heat as a face and was just like, they love me. You know, and yeah, to the point, you know, you say they love him. Another thing that I found, this is basically at the point of this show where I stopped. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, him talking about how apparently in WCW, you, if you wanted your fan mail, you had to ask for it. And apparently he got thousands and thousands of letters after only two appearances on television nope. and three big huge bags of fan mail yeah. and like so this is the kind of stuff that was taught being talked about in this show and i don't know these guys were the hosts were very excited to just have him on and i get that totally from our end if the gambler was ever on we'd be very excited as well right and he could just sit and talk and tell stories about all the fan mail he got Right. For, for dropping on Saturday night. Um, but you see what I mean, Leonard, when I talk about, like, you know, bullshit artists. I, I'm sure you've met people like this. Oh, yeah. you know? So it, it's just like that's basically what this show was. And basically him talking about how great his dad was and how his dad could beat up anybody. And he's talking about how much of a badass he was. And he's like, oh, you know, people always talk about how Steve Regal was a badass. And he's he's like, I laugh at that. I could. I could take this person. I could take that person. Blah, blah, blah. Like that's the kind of stuff that was in this shoot interview. And like I said, it's not really even a shoot interview. Maybe the last 40 minutes are a typical shoot interview, but like, you know, I guess it's a shoot in and in that he's just talking crap about certain people. I don't it, know. It, it's, him, it's him talking non kayfabe, you know, out of character, out of the wrestling business. I right. think they just call it, they call anything a shoot. Right. You know, it's it, it's either a shoot or it's, you know, whoever shoots on, like Leonard Hayer shoots on Chad Webb and their right. time, you know, together. And it's it, 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 it doesn't mean anything. The word shoot doesn't mean anything anymore. Right. And by the way, like I said, again, no, no uh, criticism of the hosts. If they ever see this, I would love to have a chat with them here about yeah. just their about their show. I would love to just have sure. a chat with them. 
as a sign of good faith. <laughs> yes. Well, I would like, I don't know if they would candidly talk about Eric Watts, but it would be interesting Maybe. if they yeah. picked it. Because I got to be honest, if we had Eric Watts and he did that, we would probably let him do it. I mean, I don't, I don't see. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's why I say I don't criticize. Like, if he was just talking at length, like, at some point, I'd probably try to interject and been like, well, hey, what about this? You know? <laughs> But anywho, um, that is, you know, pretty much about the research that, that I found. Um, and again, that was a lot of him bragging and it just came off not very good to me in general. And like the other interviews that I saw that he did were not any better. Um, you know, just basically you know, either defending his dad or talking about how great his dad was, you know, and how great he is and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, my final thoughts on Mr. Eric Watts is that I just, I think that, you know, he could do some moves. And I guess, according to him, a lot of people talked about how much potential he had and all this. I, I don't see that potential in the matches that I've seen, whether it be WCW first run WWF, WCW second run, onward and upward, whatever the run, I didn't see the potential that he had. I saw somebody that was obviously loved the business, but was, you know, in it because he didn't really know much else, most likely other than football. And uh, he just never was able to get to that second year of becoming like even like a mid card guy. Um, so I am not a huge fan of what I saw. This episode was tough to research. So Leonard, what do you think? Final thoughts. Well, between 1992 when he debuted and then his TNA run, which we talked about, that's 10 to 12 years. He didn't get any better. Right. He was no better. And the reason because, and this is my opinion, is probably because Eric Watts didn't think he needed to get any better. Yes, I agree. Like you talk about him being 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 a bull a bullshit artist, and there's two kinds. One is I would say a kind a guy like a Paul Heyman who knows he's full of crap, right? And he's selling you a bill of goods, and he knows it. And then a guy like Eric Watts believes his own hype. Yeah, Eric Watts isn't in his back of his mind. He's not like, oh, I know I'm lying about this. I know I'm putting people on. I know I'm saying this. He believes it's true. It's it's. Yeah false but he believes it's true because of the mentality and the mindset that he has and you know I, I i believe i said this when we kicked off the show he carries himself like a main eventer he carries yeah. himself like he's god's gift to wrestling which as you said at best he maybe could have been turned into a serviceable mid carter right you know he had the right people who could work with him Again, the matches with Abyss, I thought were fine, and I think a lot of that was even Abyss was green at this point. But I think it was the fact you watch things like he hits a scoop slam, Abyss goes up for him. You know, yeah. you watch those things, and Abyss, who's been in for a cup of coffee, seems to be a better worker with better psychology, and and can hit the moves better, and knows what he's doing better than a guy that at this point was was a twelve year veteran. And you know what? Side note. Abyss, I really like a lot. I think he's very underrated. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, Abyss understood ring psychology. And, uh, you know, as uh, 
I think Conrad Thompson talked about on one of his podcasts when he was sitting down with X-Pac, you know, they were, you know, looking at a match with uh, Stephen Amell, who was the actor, Stephen Amell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the match. And X-Pac commented to uh, Conrad uh, something to the effect of, you know, he's got the moves down, but you can tell that he is, how new he is because it's the stuff in between the moves that he doesn't get yet. And that is a good way to ex- explain yeah. Eric Watts, although there were certain moves he couldn't even do. <laughs> so, right, right. But he would, it was all very much, again, spot, spot, <laughs> spot. The hesitation makes this. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what it was. That's what every single match of, of his was. And again, the fact that he's 12 years in and he couldn't figure it out. I mean, that speaks volumes because there's tons of guys that even even guys that we mentioned, like, you know, Mantar, Ranger Ross, these guys, you could see improvements from day one to later. Absolutely. Oh, even even worse workers, you can see improvements because they they start getting it more or it's just repetition or again, another thing, they're in there with a guy that will walk them through it and they'll follow. Right. Eric Watts won't follow anybody. Right. Like he, like you, you can put him, I would be interesting, interested to see like if he ever had a match against Slayer at WCW. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I didn't run across anything. Um, but I would I be imagine Flair laughing at that. Yes. Yes. Cause I would, I, would, I would be interested to see if he, he had matches with Arn. Right, we, I, right there. Yeah, we have, and Arn's another guy, you know, that if you listen to him, you'll do. And and I've heard Arn. You know, we talked about this on the Tom McGee episode right. that Arn hated working with Tom McGee because Tom McGee wouldn't listen. I think, if right. I remember correctly, it was the complaint he had that he just didn't get it and he didn't want to get it and he wouldn't follow. And I think that would be, and I would be really interested to see, like Watts versus Flair. Because again, the idea is that Flair can get a match out of a broomstick. The broomstick has to help. Right. <laughs> would Eric Watts help? Right. So, so that would be what I would be interested in. But I, I think, again, I hate to totally bury the guy, but um, yeah, it was it was a uh, very as you said, this was a very painful episode this week. Right. Yeah. It was uh, not a ton of fun, but. Uh... We uh, hope that you had fun listening to it and listening yeah. to our opinion of Eric Watts. And if you disagree, please let us know. And please let us know why. That's the most important part. The reason why is because they are Eric Watts. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so. <coughs> That's what Eric Watts does to you. He gives you COVID. You watch enough Eric Watts matches and you contract COVID-19 just by <laughs> yeah. the awfulness of it. Your body breaks down. Right. <laughs> you just can't handle any more of it. That's true. Um, that's, that'll be our next shirt. Eric Watts gave me COVID-19. <laughs> now I don't think we get sued over. That, yeah, that, right. yeah, you get sued over that. That's libel. Um, all right. Well, yes, let us know in the comments your favorite Eric Watts memory, please, if you have one, or your least favorite. Um, and next week, we will bring you something totally different and something more exciting probably but uh this was a lot yeah, of fun. Put in the probably we, we we need that absolutely 
And uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Uh, click the like button on our YouTube video and subscribe to our channel. Every little bit helps. Thank you for being with us this week uh, amidst my uh, viral issues that I got from Eric Watts, clearly. Yes. And for Leonard, my name is Chad. We will see you next week. And Alexa, we'll see you out.